Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On About Books, we delve into the latest news about the publishing industry with interesting insider interviews with publishing industry experts. We'll also give you updates on current nonfiction authors and books, the latest book reviews, and we'll talk about the current nonfiction books featured on C-SPAN's Book TV. And welcome to About Books. In this episode, we'll talk with longtime book publisher Margie Ross, and we'll look at some of the latest books by current and former members of Congress. But first, let's start with this week's publishing industry news. Mitzi Angel is the new president of the publishing house Farrar, Strauss, and Giroux. She joins a growing group of women who have taken over leadership roles at large publishing houses, including Dana Kennedy, at Simon & Schuster, Lisa Lucas at Pantheon, and Adrian Vaughn at Bloomsbury, USA. In other news, Reuters reports that French legislation is taking aim at Amazon's shipping costs to customers in the country. Currently, French law prohibits discounting the price of new books and free shipping. Amazon charges one cent to get around that, and the new legislation would set a minimum delivery fee the French Ministry of Culture commented, quote, This law is necessary to regulate the distorted competition within online book sales and prevent the inevitable monopoly that will emerge if the status quo persists. Amazon argues that the law will hurt customers in rural areas of France. In other news, performing artist Solange has started a lending library of rare books by black writers and artists. The St. Huron Library Collection, named after Solange's studio, contains 50 books that are available on a first-come, first-served basis. The inaugural collection has been selected by Rosa Duffy, who owns the Atlanta Bookstore for Keeps. For more information on Solange's new bookshop, go to sthuron.com. And according to NPD BookScan, Print book sales were up close to 3% last week. They are up almost 11% year-to-date. Well, joining us now to offer her thoughts on the current state of publishing is longtime Regnery president and publisher Margie Ross. Margie, when did you leave Regnery, and what are you doing these days? Well, thanks for ha asking, Peter. I left Regnery. I stepped down in January of 2020. And um, 
moved to the country in central Virginia and started my own little book publishing consulting business. And what kind of authors are you working with? Are you working with publishers? I am working with both. Actually, I'm working with publishers and authors. It's a lot of fun. I get to spend more time doing the part of book publishing that I really love, which is helping authors make sure their books are impactful and interesting and relevant and compelling and well positioned for their brand. And um, I get to spend all my time working with publishers and authors on developing great books. Well, you're 20 years at Regnery. Who are some of the authors that you've published? We published pretty much every thought leader and celebrity author you can think of on the conservative side of the aisle. So that includes David Limbaugh, Dinesh D'Souza, Newt Gingrich, uh, Dennis Prager, uh, Michelle Malkin, Ann Coulter, Laura Ingram, Molly Hemingway, Sebastian Gorka, David Horowitz, uh, Mark Stein, Mark Levin, the the list is long, um, and uh, and it was an amazing opportunity for me to work one on one with so many um, influential, interesting, provocative authors. Well, one of the authors that you published that you didn't mention was Donald Trump. We we did publish Donald Trump. Um, published a book called Time to Get Tough which really set the stage, honestly, for his presidential run. Uh, we published that back in um, 2011, I think, when he kind of flirted with the idea of running and then decided not to. But that was the beginning of him speaking out on um, sort of national and international political issues. Now, Margie Ross, in a previous conversation that you and I had, you mentioned that once he declared in 2016 he was running for president, that you went back and read his old stuff and you saw no discrepancies in position. Well, you know, that's such an interesting thing. One, of, The reason I went back, honestly, and read his old stuff is because when he declared that he was going to run, we thought, well, we published this great book. Maybe we should publish the paperback edition. Um, that seems like a good marketing and business decision at this point. And so um, we thought, well, maybe we'll have to update a lot of it. Maybe we'll have to change a lot of things. And, um, and it was remarkable to me going back to that book, which had been written three or four years earlier. And there was nothing that um, he had said that in 2011, that he wasn't still saying in 2015 during his uh, campaign. Um, that really impressed me. And um, it's, <laughs> as we know with politicians, it's not always true, but he's not your conventional politician. So that's just one more way that he broke the mold. Was it tough for Regnery to be unapologetically conservative and to stick to that principle? Um, I think I would say no. I think it's tougher to try to um, play to a lot of different audiences. It's tougher to not know who you are and to not lean into your brand. It's much tougher to um, not be clear about who your audience is and who your target market is. Um, we, as you said, we're unapologetically conservative. Um, most of the people who work at Regnery have been and are 
um, conservative. And so I think we are able to promise authors and readers and deliver to authors and readers um, a kind of an understanding of the market, a rapport with the market, uh, an empathy with the market that very few other publishers have. Well, Margie Ross, ever since leaving Regnery, has been sending out a weekly newsletter. You can read it at margieross.com. Do you feel a little bit unleashed, or are, is it the same things you were saying as publisher? Um, I probably feel a little bit unleashed. Um, there's nothing that I'm saying now that I didn't think as a publisher, um, and so I haven't sort of changed my um, point of view, but it's certainly true that I have more latitude and more flexibility um, running my own shop, and that's, I'm sure, true for anyone. So um, my uh, my blog has been a, a sort of um, a work, a, a passion play for me, and um, as you said, it's, it's actually on MargieRossConsulting.com, and um, every week, almost every week, sometimes I miss a week, I try to speak out on something that I find interesting, that I hope other people will find interesting, that's kind of at the nexus of um, publishing and media and current events and culture. Well, in one of your blog posts, you talk about cancel culture, or you <laughs> talk about that relatively frequently, but right. I, I want to read a quote to you and have you walk us through this. This is from Margie Ross, quote, no matter how much you try to duck for cover, sooner or later the woke police will find you. No matter how far you run, you cannot hide. Um, sad but true. And I think um, I felt compelled to say that because I think there are still a lot of people who think, well, if I simply keep my head down, or if I simply kind of say the right thing and just be what I would consider to be a nice, kind person, um, I can get along. I can, um, I won't be canceled, but I also won't be um, vilified, marginalized, attacked. And I don't think that's true. I think, um, unfortunately, there are culture has gotten to a place where it's not enough to just keep your opinions to yourself. Um, it, increasingly, there's a demand, um, at least for people who are public figures and people who are, um, who, you know, other people listen to, whether they're influencers or authors, there's a demand, there's pressure to um, endorse a particular narrative, not just fail, you know, not just be quiet if you don't agree. And that's a very, very dangerous place for us to be. And I think it is, um, it is a challenge to publishers and other people in the media to um, have the courage of their convictions and, and realize that, honestly, they might as well say what they think because they're going to be punished um, for not agreeing with things they, you know, that they find reprehensible. So, Margie, why do you think Vice President Mike Pence or Senator Josh Hawley would go to Simon & Schuster and go through 
several extra hoops rather than being published by a regular? Um, there are, of course, I don't know either, you know, in either case specifically, but there are two kind of obvious reasons that come to mind. One is um, hope that um, they can navigate their way through a very liberal, very um, woke uh, culture at at the big publishing houses that they can navigate their way through and still be able to get their message out. Um, and the other answer is money. I mean, unfortunately, there are for the biggest celebrity authors, um, the New York publishers often still will pay um, a very big advance. And that's not to say that Regnery hasn't paid big advantage advances we have, but um, in some cases, they will overpay, New York will overpay for authors um, because they like the idea of the celebrity um, on their list. Although, you know, I think that is changing as well. And I think there are, as we have seen recently, there are a lot of big celebrities, Donald Trump being number one, big celebrity authors that New York has said they, they won't publish. Um, and so I think, I think it's my belief is it's incumbent upon all authors to ask, um, is this a partner that I feel um, has enough integrity to work with? Um, and in a lot of cases, I think the answer might be no. Well, in one of your blog posts, you talked about the Mike Pence uh, and Simon and & Schuster connection and the fact that he was going to be rigorously edited in his writing? Um, I think two things about that. I think um, he may well be rigorously edited, but I also think that very public declaration by the folks at Simon & Schuster that he was going to be rigorously edited was very consciously made directed at their um, most progressive, most left-leaning um, fans and employees. I think they set it to try to uh, placate or reassure the, the people who didn't like the fact that Simon Schuster was publishing Mike Pence, no matter what he said. And there was a big petition that was circulated at Simon & Schuster. Um, against the idea, protesting the idea that they were publishing a book by the former vice president of the United States. Um, and so I think uh, a, a large part of that uh, proclamation that he was going to be rigorously claimed, uh, edited was to say, don't worry, we're going to basically we're going to force him to stay in within these very tight guidelines, um, which, you know, as an author, I would find both insulting and um, worrisome. We're talking with Margie Ross, former Regnery president and publisher on About Books, our look at the world of the publishing industry. Margie Ross, you wrote another piece called The Big Lie, and it was about the New York Times book review. What was that about? Well, this is a story that uh, is not actually um, a new story for the insiders on the, in the conservative book publishing world, but unfortunately it's news to most people um, who you know, are just 
consumers of books. And that is that um, the New York Times bestseller list is an editorial product. And they have actually claimed that it's an editorial product. The, the problem I have with that is it's supposed to be simply a data-driven list, and it's not. Um, and so Regnery experienced time and time again um, a situation where a book that had indeed sold the most copies, uh, more copies than any other book in the country for a given week, which should have pretty straightforwardly meant that was the number one book, number one best-selling book, did not appear as the number one best-selling book on the New York Times list. And in fact, sometimes didn't appear at all on the list. Um, and that is, um, you know, one of unfortunately many, many, many examples, um, increasing numbers of examples of the media um, irresponsibly, in my opinion, um, distorting the news. So Margie, when it comes to conservative books and awards, how are they treated? Pulitzer Prizes, National right. Book Award, Book of the Year, et cetera. Um, they're ignored. They're, they're largely ignored. They're marginalized. I mean, it's, it's very, very rare that you will see um, a conservative book win any sort of award where there is, um, you know, a, a sort of editorial discretion and judgment as opposed to simply looking at um, the sales numbers or the quality of the work. So when I when I say editorial discretion, I mean when somebody subjective can put together their list, and of course that's what an award is, um, their own politics and their own worldview enters in. And unfortunately, I'm not sure there's anyone with a conservative worldview who's participating in um, in any of these book awards, um, who is a judge for any of these book awards. I haven't been able to find one. Um, and so what you get, once again, is the impression that is made for readers and consumers that there aren't any good conservative books or that they're of lower quality. Um, that's just another sort of insidious bias that lives within the book world. Um, and it forces conservatives to have to work a little bit harder to find the books that um, you know resonate with them. Well, your most recent column is about Publishers Weekly and its list of best reads. Yeah, this is just, uh, this is, uh, it's interesting when you talk about, it's interesting to me to talk about what it means to have um, conservative or liberal fiction. Because a lot of people say, well, what is that? I mean, it's just, they're just stories. And so um, in a lot of cases, one of the most insidious types of bias is the promotion, the ceaseless, relentless promotion of fiction from a, with a very liberal, progressive worldview, set cast of characters, set of values. And that's what uh, we're seeing in PW's latest top 10 books, where there isn't a single book in the top 10 that features a white male protagonist. They're just gone. They're canceled out. They're erased from the landscape. 
Um, I'm, you know, I'm, I, I'm a big fan of having strong female characters. That's great. But the idea that there are zero strong uh, male characters, especially white males, is is unfair to to every reader. And it certainly sends a message to young readers that um, there are no role models, there are no heroes when it comes to white men. And to quote Margie Ross one more time, virtue signaling is fracturing our society. That's exactly right. Um, it's, it's, it's ironic to me that the, um, the folks who claim to want inclusiveness, who claim to want to heal the racial divide, um, and, who and who point at conservatives at, and Trump as the culprits in creating the, the, the partisan divide, are, are the first in line to identify people by race are the first in line to want to separate our, our country and our culture rather than finding the things that bring us together. And that's one of the things that a great book can do. It can bring people together with you know, human values and human um, heroism and courage and, and, um, and emotion that everyone shares rather than trying to, you know, balkanize and marginalize, um, you know, conservatives. And joining us on About Books is Margie Ross, longtime president and publisher of Regnery Books, and now in business for herself at MargieRossConsulting.com. Thanks for your time. Thank you so much. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. And this is the About Books program and podcast on Book TV and C-SPAN. We look at some of the latest publishing news and nonfiction books. Well, each year, there's a slew of new books by former and current members of Congress, and this year is no exception. Here's some of the latest. In Two Roads Diverged, former Republican congressman and governor of South Carolina, Mark Sanford, weighs in on the future of his party. Former Democratic Senator Ben Nelson of Nebraska focuses on the lack of bipartisanship in the Senate and offers his thoughts on how to restore it. His book is called Death of the Senate. And in the clock and the calendar, former Republican Congressman Doug Collins of Georgia offers a firsthand account of President Trump's 2019 impeachment hearings. Republican Congressman Jim Jordan of Ohio reflects on President Trump's tenure in Do What You Said You Would Do. 
Democratic Congresswoman Sharice Davids also has a new book out. The Kansas Congresswoman reflects on her life and path to Washington. It's a children's book, and it's called Sharice's Big Voice. And finally, at midnight in Washington, California Democratic Congressman Adam Schiff recounts his experiences as leader of the first impeachment trial of President Trump. Congressman Schiff recently spoke about his book on our author interview program afterwards. Here's a portion. If Kevin McCarthy were ever to become speaker, essentially Donald Trump would be speaker. Uh, he would not um, uh, disagree with him ever. Um, and you would have an outside party effectively running the House of Representatives mm -hmm. and a, an ethical one to, mm -hmm. to boot. Uh, the, the story, as you know, that I tell in the book, uh, I told because I think it's so characteristic. Um, mm -hmm. McCarthy and I were sitting on a plane flying back to Washington. This was in 2010. Uh, the midterms were about six months away, and we were having an idle conversation about who was going to win the midterms. And I said the Democrats would win, and he said the Republicans were win, would win. And the movie started, and I was relieved to, mm -hmm. <laughs> to escape to the movie. And... Uh, we landed. I thought nothing of the conversation, and we went our separate ways. And that night, unbeknownst to me, he did a briefing for the press in which mm -hmm. he told the press that everybody knew the Republicans were going to win the midterms, that he sat next to Adam Schiff on the plane, and Adam Schiff admitted Republicans were going to win the midterms. And so I didn't learn about this till the morning when the newspaper came out, mm -hmm. and I was just aghast. I was astounded. And I sought him out on the House floor, and I said, Kevin, First of all, for having a private conversation, I thought, I thought it was a private conversation. But if it wasn't, you know I said the exact opposite of what you told the press. And he looks at me and he says, yeah, I know, Adam, but you know how it goes. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was like, Kevin, uh, no, I don't know how it goes. You just make mm -hmm. stuff up, and that's how you operate, because that's not how I operate. But that is how he operates. And you cannot have someone um, with such little regard for the truth serving as the Speaker of the House. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, and indeed, um, this is, I, I think, one of the most destructive things of the last several years. Now, McCarthy was ahead of his time mm -hmm. in his uh, lack of um, devotion to the truth. But, but over the last four years, there's been this relentless assault mm -hmm. by Trump and his acolytes on the truth itself, mm -hmm. uh, probably best expressed by Giuliani, who said the truth wasn't truth, and Kellyanne Conway, who said that they were entitled to their own alternate facts. Um, if we can't agree on very basic facts, if we, we don't have the same shared experience, mm -hmm. democracy doesn't work. And speaking of Congress, Book TV recently had the opportunity to sit down with Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell to get a look at his reading list. Not surprisingly, I tend to uh, tilt toward American history, much of it political. But actually, one book I just finished was not about politics. It was about the history of the polio epidemic from beginning to end. It uh, came out in 2006, actually won a Pulitzer Prize. And as a polio victim myself, uh, I have always had a kind of special interest. In it. And I thought with the pandemic going on, there were some lessons there, particularly with regard to vaccines. And one of the things we've been preaching lately is get vaccinated. And of course, one of the big differences between the situation we find ourselves in now and polio is it took 70 years, 70 years, to come up with two effective vaccines for polio. Our marvelous 
country and our marvelous uh, pharmaceutical industry came up with three effective vaccines in less than one year uh, to give us an opportunity to get past uh, the pandemic. And you can watch Senator McConnell's entire interview about his current reading list at our website, booktv.org. Now, here's a look at some of the books being published this week. Hillary Clinton's advisor, Huma Abedin, recalls her life and career in both slash and. Economist and President Trump's former trade advisor, Peter Navarro, looks at the start of the corona pandemic and the 2020 presidential election. His book is called In Trump Time. And an entertaining race, Georgetown University professor Michael Eric Dyson examines the role of race in America. And also being published this week, a new book by former Republican Speaker of the House, Newt Gingrich. He argues that anti-American beliefs are gaining traction within the United States. His latest book is called Beyond Biden. And in the broken Constitution, Harvard Law professor Noah Feldman describes how Abraham Lincoln viewed the Constitution. And Fox News' Brian Kilmeade looks at the relationship between Lincoln and Frederick Douglass in The President and the Freedom Fighter. Those are some of the new books being published this week. You'll see them on Book TV. Well, each week, Book TV produces a program called Afterwards. And on this week's episode of our author interview program, entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy argues that corporate America is signing on to, quote, woke culture only to increase profits. He discussed his book with Harvard University economics professor and former George W. Bush economics advisor, Greg Mankiw. Here's a little bit of their conversation. I think that there's something to be said for really exploring the way in which maybe wokeness can stand on its own two feet when it isn't intermingled with capitalism. A big part of what I take aim at in the book isn't just the woke ideology in and of its own right, but it's merger with capitalism, which actually taints both the progressive values that corporations are, act, are asked to be stewards of, as well as tainting corporate purpose in and of its own right as well. And so that's actually what the heart of the book is about, more so than criticizing one end of the political spectrum or the other. And that was author Vivek Ramaswamy. Now, Afterwards airs every Sunday on Book TV, and you can watch all previous episodes at our website, booktv.org. And it's also available as a podcast at C-SPAN's new app, C-SPAN Now. Finally, here's some of the best-selling nonfiction books this week, according to the New York Times. Now, topping the list is a book that we won't be covering on Book TV, and it's musician Dave Grohl's memoir, The Storyteller. After that, To Rescue the Republic, Fox News hosts Brett Baer's look at President Ulysses S. Grant. Next are Ron and Clint Howard, who reflect on their acting life in Hollywood in The Boys, and that's followed by Peril, the Washington Post's Bob Woodward and Robert Costa's report on the transition between the Trump and Biden administrations. And wrapping up our look at some of the New York Times best-selling nonfiction books is Midnight in Washington. That's California Democratic Congressman Adam Schiff's argument that the Trump presidency has weakened America's institutions. And that's a look at this week's publishing news and the latest nonfiction books. Thanks for joining us on About Books. And a reminder that About Books is available as a podcast at C-SPAN's new app, C-SPAN Now, or wherever you get your podcasts.